Well, babe, we did it. We wrote a book. Yeah, man, it's it's actually surreal to even think about uh, that we wrote a book, had a baby, got married, not necessarily in that order. <laughs> <laughs> but the book is now available yeah. for pre-order, and we're so excited to share it with you. Oh, so looking forward to getting this book into your hands, to be in dialogue and conversation with all of you as we continue to liberate love from old imprints and codependent dynamics that keep us small, stuck, and stagnant. Yeah, you know, no matter your relationship status, this book walks you through what shaped you, why do you do what you do in relationship. It dives deep into your relationship blueprint, attachment styles, and most importantly, which is different than every other book that's ever covered codependency in the past, we explore the role of the nervous system in that. And the book is called Liberated Love. Yeah. Release your codependent patterns and create the love you desire. Go to createthelove.com slash liberated love to order your copy now. That's createthelove.com slash liberated love and get that pre-order in and you'll be able to get a free download of a meditation we created and a workbook that goes along with it. Much love and appreciation for your support. Much love. Thank you. Hello and welcome back another episode of the Mark Groves Podcast. I am so excited to be back in your ear, jamming on all things relationship. Can we just take a moment and just have a sense of gratitude for the fact that we can learn these things that previously generations couldn't? I mean, that's pretty amazing. Before I used to have to, I would have had to get a radio contract and get a radio show and, you know, there's so many less barriers to doing what you love as well. Isn't that crazy? You could just start a podcast, start talking about shit you love. That's a pretty amazing world to live in. So, before I get into introduction of the next of this week's guest, who is going to blow your damn mind, which what's life about if you're not blowing your mind, right? Um, if as always, wherever you listen to this, um, my one request, just in return for creating this podcast and all the time and effort that I put into it, if you could just go and give this a five star review and a written review, that is so helpful for me to get it into more people's ears so they can learn more about how to create amazing relationships. All right, I mean that's my only ask. So now this week, gosh, I was at a psychology conference um, a couple months ago. And I had the chance to go to this man's uh, workshop for a day, and my mind was blown. I was like, I got to get this guy on the podcast. It was such a powerful workshop, and I just couldn't wait for him to share his view of the world, his heart, and it's none other than uh, Terry Real. So I don't want to delay this anymore because he is he's spectacular. He's energetic. He's opinionated, which I love. That's a good thing. We should all have opinions. We should all stand for the things that really matter to us and um, and just passionate about things. I, I just love it. Uh, Terry Real, without further ado, let's get rolling. Welcome to another episode of the Mark Groves Podcast. I am over the moon excited to have Terry Real on my podcast today. Terry, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. It's a joy to be here. I I had the pleasure, the absolute pleasure of watching you rock a workshop at the Psych Networker Conference in DC. 
And I was just moved by not just your ability to do very quick, fast interventions with the couples that you worked with, but on top of that, the authenticity of the experience. I'm very like, you know, that's something that I admire in anybody. And I just love that you call shit how it is. Yeah, yeah we, well, I don't put up with a lot of nonsense. Most, you know, I make a nice living going around the country telling therapists that there's some major design flaws in therapy, particularly couples therapy. And we therapists are taught to back off of telling people the difficult truths about what we see. We see it clearly enough. We'll talk to each other about it at the water cooler, but we won't bring it up. We're, we're trained to be freaking nice. And nice does not work with couples. And nice does not work with men, particularly. Men need mentors. Men need guidance. Men uh, respond, by and large, if you're loving. They will respond to straight talk. And, of course, my specialty in the therapy world is loving straight talk. I call it joining through the truth. It's how to tell the truth to difficult people, men and women, people who are in the grandiose one-up, superior, offensive positions, uh, how to tell the truth to them about the ways they're blowing their own foot off in a way that leaves them feeling that you're rooting for them and you're on their side, in a way that leaves them feeling closer to you after the confrontation and more trusting. That's the art. So in that art is, and, and just so people listening understand, when you talk about that grandiose position, do you want to explain like what that role is and what that role usually finds in relationship? Yeah, well, we, you know, for 50 years, psychotherapy and the self-help movement and the great Oprah Winfrey, may she live forever, uh, all focused on helping people come up from the one down of shame. But we've done a terrible job of helping people come down from the one-up of grandiosity. And they're flip sides of the same self-esteem disorder. One's feeling less than defective. Uh, the other's feeling better than superior, inferior, superior. And we all have issues of grand... Look, when I'm in front of an audience at this point in the lecture, I look out at the audience and I say, uh, is there anyone here who believes they have absolutely no issues of grandiosity whatsoever? Raise your hand. <laughs> <laughs> it's human to have both. Yeah. We all have both. And um, one of the distinguishing characteristics of the work that I do, both in workshops for men and women, uh, and men and men, and women and women, I should say. Um, uh, when I do workshops for what I call normal people, and also when I do trainings for therapists, uh, I, I focus on, this is what I want to focus on with you today, I'll tell you. I focus on helping people move into healthy, satisfying, passionate, alive intimacy with each other by helping each sex move beyond patriarchy and traditional gender roles. Because traditional gender roles were not forged for intimacy. That was not the model. The, what we want now is a lifelong lover relationship. We want you know, long walks on the beach, holding hands and sex in our 60s and 70s and 80s. And we, what we've done is we've grafted onto the stability of a marriage the qualities of a lover relationship. We want it all. But in our patriarchal culture, not only do we not give our sons and daughters the skills they would need to pull this off, because they're, you have to handle yourself 
with some skill and sophistication in a relationship if you don't make it as good as all that. Mm-hmm. Not only do we not give them the skill, but we pump them full of uh, gender uh, imperatives that uh, pull them away from intimacy. You cannot be a traditional man and you cannot be a traditional woman and have a healthy, happy relationship. Those roles were not built for happy relationships. Is the reason uh, is the reason that we can't both be sort of connected and fulfilled in relationship and be those roles? Is that due to, on some level, that in order to embody that role, there has to be some sense of self abandonment or yeah. like a lack of authenticity? On both sides. On both yeah. sides. Yeah, we often though call that out more like in the patriarchal model. You know, as as should happen, we sort of call out the masculine for the power and the. The dominance. But I've also seen, and I, I think if I remember the research correctly, that there is a, a quite an increase in divorce in people in their 50s, 60s, 70s. And here are these men who have really, they're not connected to their hearts. They were never taught to be connected to their hearts. Well, what you have, I know, they call it the great divorce revolution. And to me, it's really simple. Hmm. Uh, these uh, women, a uh, whole generation of women, uh, are fed up with caretaking their men. Yeah. And the these older men, these boomer men, uh, have not changed significantly enough to be satisfying to their women. It's women who file for divorce. Yeah. 75% of divorces. There, there was a, a, a chilling survey in Self Magazine a few years ago they polled uh, something like 10,000 women in their 40s and beyond. If you had to do over again, would you choose the same life partner? 80% of them said no, they would not. Holy shit. That's women, a small number. That's, that's a very, very significant. Women are not satisfied. Yeah. And one of the great secrets, this is the other thing, in in the work I do, we call it relational life therapy. We take sides. That's another thing. We deal with grandiosity and we take sides. So um, women are carrying the dissatisfaction. Women are the ones who are carrying the standard. Look, when, when we say we want lifelong relationships and we want emotional intimacy and we want to stare into each other's eyes and have, what's this we, baby? It's <laughs> not we, this is women. Men are not leading the charge, women are. Yeah. You know, let, let me tell you who I am. This is funny. I'm the turnaround guy. My beat. People fly in from wherever. Please come in, whoever's listening to this. I, I charge you on the leg, but, but do it if you're desperate enough. People come in who are on marital death door to see me for two days. These are people that know the therapist has been able to help. And this is the last stop. You, we work together, the three of us, for two straight days. At the end of that time, you're getting a divorce or you're back on track. It's one or the other. This, is, this is the last stop. Now, so I get dire cases, okay, Mark? I mean, I get, I get the bad of the bad. You're not getting the kind of healthy relationships. You're getting... No, no. <laughs> I'm, getting I'm getting really tough, tough relationships. Anyway, these people are on marital death. Okay, even here, 
I asked the woman to go wait in the waiting room, and I turned to the guy, and I say, what do I need to know? And the guy goes, invariably, the guy does some version of this. You know, things really aren't that bad around here. <laughs> if you could just kind of get her, you know, off my back, I think we could be okay. And these guys are hanging by a marital thread, and they don't get it. You know, it's like amazing. Women are carrying the dissonance. Men, by and large, here's an open secret in couples therapy. Mm-hmm. Men, by and large, are not unhappy in their marriages. The status quo suits men. Men haven't changed that much. Women are unhappy in their marriages. Men are unhappy that the women are unhappy with them. (laughs) Yeah, that's so true. That their response is the response to the emotion, not the response to what their barometer is measuring in the culture or the health of a relationship, which they don't, why is it that we, and I say they probably because I've been, uh, did, I've been not attuned and now that's why I wanted to learn how to be attuned. But okay. We, good for you. And well, yeah, that's what drove me into all this work was why am I not good at this? I just want to be good at this. And I'm, yeah. wondering, I'm wondering, yeah, like I had an, an engagement that ended and I'm like, how did I get here? Like, how did I get to a place where I could talk about everything, but my feelings, it didn't make sense. So yeah. Um, I wanted to start this work so I could share people like you with with everyone. We should all get this education because we. Yes. Have I want I want relationship skills taught in elementary school, junior high, high school, college. Listen, let me tell you about you not being in touch with your feelings. Okay, there's a reason why you aren't in touch with your feelings. This is not you personally. This is not just about your mother. I'm sure it is about your mother. <laughs> not just about your mother. There are too many of you. This is about the injunction of masculinity that says what it means to be a man is to be invulnerable. There are two pillars of traditional masculinity. One is the uh, delusion of dominance, that you're in control, that you're supposed to be, that you have to fix it. You know, women want empathic listeners, men can't stand it. They have to fix it. They <laughs> should probably fix that, right? That's... Yeah, yeah. This, anyway. But, um, so... One is the delusion of of dominance and the uh, power over instead of power with. In the world of men, you're one up or one down, winner or loser. See, women are taught to make connection. Women are taught to men are taught to win connection through achievement. You have to be a winner in order to be worthy of connection. If you're a loser, you're abandoned. So we bring uh, this to our relationships. Yeah, well, this is our relationship. You're either one or one. Now, this is how it plays out with in our relationship. People say that men are afraid of uh, of intimacy. I don't believe that. I think that most men don't know what intimacy is. Men are afraid of being subjugated mm. because in the world of men, you're either controlling or controlled, one up or one down. There's no real platform for intimacy from either the one up or the one down position. You have to be same as. So they mistake vulnerability as being uh, dominated or being controlled. That's right. That's right. Because what it means to be the one pillar uh, of uh, traditional masculinity is domination. The other is invulnerability. The more invulnerable you are, the more manly you are, the more vulnerable you are, the more girly you are. And that is essential to masculinity. Mm-hmm. And look at our heroes, Superman, Terminator, Right? No, I mean, boys worship men who don't have any softness in them at all. Total, hard-bodied, not even flesh. That's a man. 
Yeah, that embodied that that role of caretaker, purpose, provider, all those things. And it's, you know, I can remember viscerally and just the story I was in before I got engaged was the story I was taught. Get married by a certain age, have kids by a certain age, make a certain amount of money so I could take care of a family. Yeah. If I didn't have, like, if I wasn't making money, I can still feel the biological programming when I became an entrepreneur and, you know, I was like, well, what, how am I going to pay for this and do this? I could feel that my worth as a provider had gone down, even though I consciously- You could hold on to your self-esteem, right? Yeah, like I knew what was going on was there was a, a, an implicit or very explicit message sent to me about this, but I still had a hard time separating it from my worth, even though I knew what was happening. See, men replace healthy self-esteem, which comes from the inside out, which doesn't have to be earned, which can't be added to or subtracted from. It's an ontological fact. You have worth and dignity because you're a human being, just like every other goddamn human being. You're not better than anybody. You're not worse than anybody you're same as. That's healthy self-esteem. doesn't have to be earned. It can't be subtracted from. It's just yours. It's your capacity to hold yourself lovingly in the face of your own humanity. Few people have it in this culture. I have to teach it. Yeah, I find that it's so much of our messaging and everything. Even our biological evolution really comes from how do I show, who do I need to be in order to be loved by you? And in that is this sense of I'm going to become this, this puppet but you do it as a kid for survival. So, you know, as an adult, when you're in a relationship and all of a sudden you feel like you, you know, because in that model, as you were talking about of patriarchy is in essence, uh, codependency, you know, it's like, I'm going to give away my identity, which I never had anyways, to be in this relationship, to take on this gender role, you'll do the same. And then I really feel like people wake up later in, in their marriages going like, I never chose this from my own. Well, well women wake up. Yeah, 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 yeah true. Marriages. Men are fine on cruise control, by and large. If women would be less bitchy to their men and be nice to them, the men would be like, oh, okay, we're fine. And everything's good. We're good. Everything's good. Everything's good. Feelings? No, it's okay. You know, you can talk about yours. I'll, I'll, I'll listen for five. I might not listen well, but I'll be here. I'll be here. <laughs> I'll sort of be here. What's on? Who's, who's playing tonight? Where, where's, where's, where's the sports page? Anyway, uh, we can do better. Now, look, the response culturally to women's dissatisfaction uh, in the therapeutic community has been to negate their voices by this god-awful fidelity to neutrality, to therapeutic neutrality. We're not to take side. This is bullshit. In the work that I do, I agree with the women. What the women are asking for is legit. More intimacy is a good thing. I'm a couples therapist. I believe in intimacy. Not necessarily more closeness. Intimacy is a dance of closeness and distance, but intimacy entire. It's good for you. It's healthier. You'll live longer. Your kids will be happier. You know, it's a good thing. What women are asking for is good. Their delivery may suck, and we can talk about that. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about that. How does... Yeah, God damn, let's talk about that. Let's get that solution for all the men listening who are like, yeah, work on her delivery, not me. I'm fine. <laughs> I'm cool. <laughs> if we can make them less bitchy, we'd all be good. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think... It, you know, at least in my experience and what I've observed, um, usually men don't really aren't really willing to do the work till the women's are done doing the work. 
Like when she's leaving, he's like, wait, wait, no, now I'm ready. And yeah. it's too late because it's been so long that she's been giving hints. Well, I want women to be empowered. And um, I, I do want to talk about women for a minute because. Yeah, let's do it. Women have two um, models in a way that they many swing back and forth between. One is the traditional role. See, men only have the traditional model. That's it. And now there's a new model that is emerging, primarily with millennials, uh, that is um, the old model is patriarchal, hierarchical, power over, um, invulnerable. We all know what it is. The new model is a, a, a ecological, democratic, a cooperative, a collaborative, uh, and uh, it's much more relational. And these two models of masculinity are at war right now. Just look around at what's happening politically. Yeah, yeah, that's so true. They're these the two, two models of masculinity are, are at war. Patriarchy is at war with m women and with uh, m uh, men in a certain kind of way. Anyway... Where were we? What were we talking about? That. We were talking about women. Uh, yeah, women. So look, here's, here's how I see it. Under the rubric of patriarchy, you, now this, takes, this is the most abstract thing I'm going to say the whole interview, okay? So get your thinking cap on. Under patriarchy, you can either be connected, okay? Yeah. Or you can be powerful, but you can't be both at the same time. Let me say that again. Under patriarchy, you can be connected or you can be powerful, but you can't be both at the same time. Connected, affiliative, feminine, quote-unquote, uh, powerful, uh, independent, aggressive, masculine, quote-unquote. The two together, no. So we're not, we're either too much, we're either overtly in our feminine, overtly in our masculine, but not well, in some sense quote unquote yeah now look so for women they can take the traditional quote unquote feminine position which is kind of 1950s repressed resentful unfulfilled codependent yeah and by the way this is black and white research has shown in black and white that traditional hierarchical marriages breed more depression, more anxiety, more marital dissatisfaction than egalitarian marriage. Egalitarian marriages breed happier human beings. It's like demonstrable. It's not a matter of opinion. It's black and white. Anyway, so they have that model, voiceless. Yeah. Disempowered. And then they have the kind of 70s human potential movement uh, you know, I'm bursting out. I am woman, hear me roar. Uh, you know, kind of pissed off. What, what, feminine, early feminine, and I consider myself a, um, a, a feminist family therapist. I've been a feminist for 40 years. Uh, but early feminism was angry. And it was about the power differential. And it was about trying to address very real concerns, you know, as those real concerns are popping back up again uh, with um, the abortion debate and women's health, and it's just astounding what's going on. Anyway, so there's the voiceless 50s model. Then there's the 70s, I call it personal empowerment model. 
And I summarize personal empowerment, whether it's feminism or 12-step codependence work or most psychology, particularly of that time. I, I summarize that I was weak, now I'm strong, go screw yourself. <laughs> yeah, like becomes more like the bulldozer. The, it's from an angry place, but it's mas- It's in that masculine range. That's right. right. They've shifted from traditional feminine to traditional masculine. And one, one of the things I say, and I, I don't know if I win votes from women on this, but I do <laughs> After 50 years of feminism, women have won the right to be as obnoxious as men have always been. <laughs> you know, I wrote an article. Of, it was bad timing, and anyone listening, feel free to get pissed at me. It was called uh, Are Women the New Men? And the idea was this extreme, that that the language I was hearing online about men from women was from an angry place, which was fair. But they had, in some way, the most outspoken ones had become like the oppressed sure. men. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, right. Like, so, uh, okay. so let's talk about the next We're step. We're a couple of white, old, white men talking about this. You know, I appreciate it's that. All right. yeah, it's yeah. All right. you know, um, yeah. we're, who, we're who we got, so <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. we work with what we got. A- a- anyway, listen, um, I talked to uh, the next step, which is uh, relational empowerment, not personal empowerment. Personal empowerment is I was weak and I'm strong. Stand back, brother, because I am going to let you have it. Mm-hmm. Relational empowerment is I was weak and I'm strong. I'm going to bring my strength into this relationship. I'm going to stand toe-to-toe with you. I'm going to talk to you. I talk about fierce intimacy. I'm going to be fierce about my wants and needs. Now, what can I do to help you win? Because I love you. Let's work together. We're a team. And relational empowerment is a different vocabulary and a different energy than personal empowerment does. I'm a couple therapist. The bane of my existence is individual therapists ah. who empower people right out of potentially workable relationships because, God damn it, I'm not putting up with that no more. That's personal empowerment. You can bring your power into, a, into relationships. You can be powerful and connected at the same time. That breaks the back of patriarchy. That is new territory. So I speak to people in general and women in particular about a skill I call telling the truth with love, standing up for yourself with love. So what does that look like? I like it. I, said, I, like, I like it too. This. This I like it too. Standing up for yourself with love is a way of cherishing the person and cherishing the relationship so emphatically that uh, at the same time that you're saying no to them or setting a limit of some kind, uh, they feel okay. It's okay. I'll tell you. Uh, I'll tell you two. Uh, may I tell you a couple of stories? We've been yeah. Let's do it. Let's rock. Ready. Let me tell you a story too. So I, I first learned, and by the way, I talk about this in detail in the uh, that essential skills uh, course. It's that online course. I talk about how to say enough for yourself with love. We'll link that out in the show notes. Uh, Terry has a essential relationship skills workshop on his website, terryreal.com. We'll link it out so that people can grab it. Right, right. And later on, I'll ask me and I'll tell people a little bit about Give them all the things. But anyway, right, standing up for, so I, I first learned this from my friend Alan Slobodnik, uh, who is uh, in, in uh, recovery and uh, a therapist, now business consultant. And my family and I were with his family having a barbecue in his house. And he had done something that had really pissed me off. Uh, he betra- I felt betrayed by a particular thing that he had done a week earlier. 
And I was indignant. And we start to talk. I say, Alan, I have to clear the air about this. I cannot just sit here with it. I have to tell you, and I unloaded on the guy. Okay? I mean, I was self-righteous indignation poster child. (laughs) And Alan stood up in his chair and came and stood by me. And his voice was monotone, but his body was vibrating with emotion. And this is what he said to me. I want you to remember this, Mark. He says to me, the first and most important thing I want to tell you, Terry, is that I love you. You're one of my best friends. You're going to be one of my best friends till the day we die. What I'm about to say has nothing to do with that. Now, with that clear, let me say this. You come as my guest onto my porch in the middle of my family and bring your anger and indignation and rage into this afternoon with me as my, as my guest. And here's what I want to tell you about that. I grew up with that shit, as you well know. I internalized that. I have worked really hard to divest my family of that energy, not to pass it on to my kids. And you have the gall to, uh, in my invitation, walk in here and dump that in the middle of my family on a Sunday afternoon. I don't like it. Now, I can't control you. You're going to do what you're going to do. But every time you choose to behave that way, I'm going to tell you in no uncertain terms just how much I don't like it. And brother, I don't like it. Have I made myself clear? That's what he said. Well, here's what I did. Yeah, here's how I said. Here's how I saw it. I went like this. <laughs> he had shut me up. And he had disarmed me with Terry, I love you. I'm a fighter. I'm from Jersey. If he'd come at me with rage, I would have known exactly what to do. Huh. If he if he'd rolled over and let me walk on him, I would have known what to do. But to love me and stand up to me at the same time, I had no idea. I did. I was speechless. You've never met that before. Never in my life. Wow. So now I'm going to tell you another story. Yeah. Typical heterosexual couple. He wants sex all the time. She wants sex none of the time. And they're at each other's throats. They come in to see me. And instead of restating their positions... Uh, over and over again, which is what they do at home. I get them to talk about what sex means. This is a new conversation for them. And like a lot of men, sex for this guy, he filtered all of his emotional needs through sex. So sex meant he was desirable. Sex meant he was a nice guy. Sex meant that he was attractive. Sex meant that he was loved. Sex meant that they were close and everything was okay between them. All, all this traffic w- was the filter through sex. So they come in two weeks later, and they're all smiles, and the, the gal says, uh, we got it. And they had other problems to work on. They weren't done. But this one, they got it. So, okay, tell, there's a, tell me the story. There's a story. She goes, the next time he wanted sex, rather than my usual, you know, I walked over to him, and I gave him a big kiss. I looked him in the eye. And I said, I, the first thing I want you to know is I think you are so hot. 
You are incredibly attractive to me. I think you're so handsome and you take such good care of me and you're so manly and you're such a good guy and you've got such a great heart and I just love you to pieces. And oh, by the way, I don't want to have sex tonight. And he said to his utter surprise, he said, uh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Because all the other needs were met. Like the actual, I love what you said there that so much traffic was being channeled to one need. Exactly. Why is it that with, because I love the fierce love that she steps up, says, first off, I love you and I love all these things about you and feeds all the things we need. Um, but in that, why is it that men from our okay. organization? Okay, let me answer that, but I don't want to lose the thread. For yeah, you. yeah, please. What she did was standing up for herself with love. That's why I tell you the story. It's an illustration. She is so cherishing of of her husband while she's saying no to him that, you know, the medicine goes down, you know, the medicine goes down. And this is people in general, and I believe women in particular, need to learn this skill, how how to be loving and uh, firm in the same breath how to be open but feel protected in that experience that's right that's good boundaries yeah that's a nice that's a nice firm healthy channel it is it is so the great news about this is it can be taught just like men can be taught to be more relational men can be taught to not filter every goddamn need through their penis for christ's sake (laughs) you know it's like well, under patriarchy, men are allowed two emotions, uh, anger and lust. Yeah. And men filter all of their emotions through anger and lust because those are the only two emotions allowed. I find, though, like in the construct of what you were talking about, the balance of feminine and masculine and the roles that men and women take, um, post like in the feminist revolution, and then being that I'm a kid that grew up in the 80s and 90s, um, two mothers. My mother is um, like more not an angry feminist, but she was like a passionate feminist. Yeah, and, and she was very loving. She has two sons, so and and a sister too. So there, that was very much embodied in our experience with her. But I found it, and I don't know if I'm making this. You know, I don't know if I'm creating a meaning where there is none. But I found that I had I was pretty boundaryless. You know, like a lot of the messages I had received from news was men are uh, murderers, men are rapists, men are, you know, the like post-patriarchy news. Oh, no. We're still in the patriarchy, but in the... Where did you grow up? In, in Calgary, in Canada. Mm-hmm. And, which is like the Texas of Canada. So to be fair, to give some context to that, it is... Pretty you know, very much, yeah, like become a provider, do that, you know, all that stuff. I also had a Catholic upbringing. But I'm wondering, to, I'm a recovering Catholic, I like to say, but the... <laughs> I liked it in the context of that, of when men are, don't have the anger expression. And also, I, not till I was using it as a compensatory strategy, did I also channel lust in a, or unchannel it and just let it spread everywhere. So when a man doesn't have um, access to his anger and doesn't necessarily, um, maybe from a values perspective, right? Like channel any lust anywhere, has no uh, a sexual expression. Oh, I want to get this right up. 
Yeah, like, well, because it's so repressed, you know, you see these people who grow up in extremely religious households where they're taught that sex is shame. I mean, I heard a message from a Baptist church in the, in the South that was, if you're a boy and you masturbate, you're gay, so don't masturbate. Like, I was like, fuck, man, you're teaching that to these young boys. So what happens when a man doesn't have access to his anger? How then does he get his needs met or even express? Well, he doesn't, men don't get their needs met. Let's be clear. You know, for for a long time, uh, a, a lot of people uh, spoke about how uh, women don't have voice and recovering voice. You know, Hillary found her voice and women find their voices. And um, that's all from Carol Gilligan, who wrote that incredible book, In a Different Voice, back in the 80s. But um, men don't have voice in relationships either. W- women don't speak up for their wants and needs in relationship in the traditional model mm-hmm. uh, because their wants and needs are selfish. A good woman doesn't have wants or needs. or She uh, services others. That, that's... Um, by the way, the most traditional conservative woman in popular culture right now is a porn queen, uh, because um, the I call it the myth of the sexual mother in porn. Um, it's a woman whose pleasure lies in giving you pleasure, and um, anything you do is fantastic, you know. And, and I say there's a word for a woman whose pleasure lies in giving you pleasure. It's called mother. <laughs> <laughs> Not ideal. And this has been transposed to the, the erotic, and it's very addictive. It's very appealing for a, a woman to completely be contorted to do and be what you want them to do and be. And then in the role of the masculine in there, you know, like when... In getting back to that idea of then where does a man's needs and wants go in that model too? Well, a woman's needs are selfish and a man's needs are weak. Uh, real men don't have needs. What, what need, needs? What the hell are you talking about? Who has needs? I'm John Henry. I'm made of steel. What you, uh, need for what? Yeah, I need to get laid. That's what I need. Yeah. And, so yeah. is that where the channel comes of like yeah. all my needs yeah. get met through my my penis, through my erotic needs? Yeah, I need I need I need sex and I need whatever um, I call the misery stabilizers, whatever comforts I am turning to instead of intimacy. It's very sad. Yeah, it is. In this, you were saying that there's this battle between the old model of the patriarchy and the new model, you know, maybe, you know, more, as you called it, like more of the millennial driven model. Of- I love you. I love you, young folks. How old are you, Mark? I'm 40. So I don't you know, make- you're, you're, you're not that young. Yeah, I don't make the, I appreciate the dip into the youth fountain you just gave. Yeah, me. I, I know. I know. Uh, it's funny that you're worried about it at 40. I'm 68. I'm an old guy. But, um, <laughs> Well, I've, I, I am in the middle of those two core messages, and I felt like I really, right. I was lucky because my dad um, is very emotionally attuned. He was, would talk to us about how we felt. So I got an education that not many men get. You mm. know, he had been divorced, and maybe that's where he found that part of himself. But all of our relational conversations mostly happened through my dad would ask, how are you feeling? He'd talk about sex. You know, everything was quite open. 
But I think what's fascinating is the observation now of this movement and part of being part of the movement of wanting to empower ourselves relationally versus yeah. the deconstruction of the loveless marriage, the patriarchal marriage, the systemic marriage. And, you know, you hear people all the time say things like, the institution of marriage is at threat, it's at war. And I'm like, no, it's not. Like, it was never really... I think it's Eli Finkel who has the book, The All or Nothing Marriage, that talks about how we used to use marriage to get our Maslow's lowest needs met, and now we can actually, through relationship, find self-actualization. Oh, that's a cool idea. I like that. I, I'm doing a uh, an online course next year with a German mystic, Thomas Ubel, a guy I've been doing a lot of teaching with. He's a really interesting man, German spiritual teacher, lives in Tel Aviv with his Israeli wife, works with Holocaust issues with, I've heard, with like a thousand people in the room. Wow. Works in Germany and in Israel on both sides of the issue. Anyway, I'm doing a, a course with him on um, relationship as a spiritual practice. In fact, if anybody wants it, if you go to my website, terryreal.com, and you hit contact me, you'll get an email. And if you say, I'd like you the tape with the German guy. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I'll give you a link. And I did a two hour talk with Thomas on relationships as a spiritual practice. It was wonderful. I want to grab that too. Yeah. I want to hear that. So from a, because you built this essential relationship skills workshop that is, it's just what, how many hours, like eight hours? Or eight so? hours. Yeah. And what, oh, like, how do we pull, you know, cause we have about 15 minutes left. So I want to, I want to, how do we pull people out of the depths of, of this, uh, you know, one up, one down? How do we, the relational empowerment part that you're talking about, I know you said about. Well, first, we have to start thinking relationally. And I teach therapists to teach their clients to think. So, for example, now thinking really, that means thinking ecologically. You're not above your marriage. You're in the marriage, stupid. And it, it, it's like, your your relationship is your biosphere. It's your environment. It's, it's, it, it, you are in it. You're not above it. That's part of the patriarchal delusion of dominance. You're in it, you fool. Have humility. You're a subcomponent part. What that means is you can indulge and pollute over here with your anger and rage and pissed offness, but you breathe that pollution over here in your partner's withdrawal or lack of generosity or resentment. or it's, it, You're in the system. Have the humility of understanding that. That's beginning to think relationally. The simplest way of doing it, and it appeals to men, is you're a team. Think like a team. If one of you wins and the other one... Look, here's thinking ecologically. If one of you wins and one of you loses, you both lose. You know why? Why? It's not some pie-in-the-sky ideal. If one of you wins and the other one loses, you both lose because the loser will make the winner pay for it. <laughs> yeah, that's so true. <laughs> of course it's true. Yeah. You're connected. It's an, it's an ecological system. You have to start thinking like that. So, for example, the relational answer to the question who's right and who's wrong is who cares. Mm. It doesn't matter. What matters is how are we going to make this work for the two of us in a way we can both live with. We're a team. What do we need? Which makes you so much more powerful as two people facing a challenge, which is, you know, as you were saying, like all couples, 
issues are are relational. They're together, two people facing it versus it's between the two of us. That's right. Trying to be right rather than connected. That's right. And you stop being adversaries and you start working side by side. So that's a piece of it. And then in the skills course, it is essential skills, how to have a, a good relationship to yourself, first of all, healthy self-esteem, which most people do not have, how to not be grandiose and superior or shame-based and worn down, how to not have negative attacking self-talk, but be able to hold yourself tenderly and lovingly in the face of screwing up. How, to, how That's a practice. Then boundaries, how to be connected but protected at the same time without either being walled off, which a lot of people are, or too open and boundaryless, which a lot of people are. Mm-hmm. And then the relational skills, how to speak up with love, how to move into repair when things go awry, how to listen in a way that your partner feels understood and respond with generosity in a way that moves the two of you into repair how to cherish yourself, your partner, and your practice. Uh, And uh, along the way, a a little dip into a thing we call core negative image work, which is how you see your partner when you see them as the biggest asshole in the universe. And how to, the beauty in, in that is you'll always see them the same way. It's consistent. So when in that definition of what you were saying, going into the idea of what the core negative image is, are you deconstructing what image you have created of them? Yeah, yeah, well, deconstructing in a way, what you're doing, what I say, you put the core negative images on the table. Yeah, like this is who you are when when I'm mad at you. Well, yeah, when I see you as being impossible, these are the spectacles I'm looking for. For example, Belinda's CNI, we call it, core negative image of me, is that I'm a narcissistic, charming, undependable boy, man boy. Man, I can't imagine mine would be that different than that. If I'm like projecting myself for my partner, I would imagine it would be similar. Yeah, well, we're both performers, right? So, yeah, that's true. Anyway, and... Uh, and my uh, Sanaya Belinda is that she's a controlling, insatiable, uh, complaining, critical witch. That's amazing. <laughs> now, um, we know about this. We've worked with these for years. And uh, I also feel fine about it. It's not, this is not an uncommon heterosexual pairing, by the way. But um, so uh, the way it works is I know that this is her CNI of me. When she starts talking to that, uh, undependable boy child and in these exaggerated ways rather than react to how exaggerated it is which is what i used to do what 99 out of 100 people do i go oh she's seeing i triggered right now i get it i know who she's talking. Uh, so in so for people listening it might so when they're flooded when they're feeling reactive when they're feeling that thing all the body's getting all revved up they will they're they'll sort of like go back to a position of seeing their partner as this core negative image and then they speak to and respond to them or don't withdraw you know what, what i say right once once see because once belinda's core negative image of me is triggered she starts behaving 
in ways that are kind of witchy and insane. with Yersi and I of her, yeah. Like that. It's like so once one figure the other, and then you're in a loop, right? Yeah. And where everybody goes south is they try and fight it. They react to the exaggeration in it, and they say, oh, come on, it's not that bad. It's, and what I want, like a Chinese finger puzzle, I don't want you to pull against it, I want you to lean into it and release it. So your partner CNI of you, with rare exception, is an exaggerated version of you at your worst. Yeah. But it's you. It's not the guy next to you. That's, that's, what, him? Yeah, okay, cool. No, not him. <laughs> so once you know this and you own it, um, you can understand, I can understand what to do with Belinda once I understand her CNI of me. CNIs are like uh, operating instructions for your partner. They're a compass pointing in the opposite direction of where you want to go consistently. So anything that I do that smacks of being irresponsible or selfish or tuned out, or, Belinda will go nuts around. And anything that I do that's like really responsible and thoughtful and initiate, you know, I come home with tickets to a show and a babysitter arranged that was, I mean, she would like die and go to heaven. <laughs> so your CNI of your partner tells you, gives you a lot of good information once you master it. Do you find like when you guys do that work in greater detail than um, the, the, the relationship skills workshop, when you go into like deeper dives, do you start, is it, I, I don't imagine it's necessary, but do you correlate those CNIs with uh, childhood or with? Absolutely. Absolutely. 100%. And, and now we're in deeper territory. Yeah, of course. I know. But I just figured it must be like some sort of model of wounding from childhood, I would imagine. Exactly right. Yeah. One of the things I say, Mark, is we all marry our unfinished business. That's, and that's exactly it, right? We're attracted to what needs to be healed. Exactly. And, and together you can do that. And like the family tree finally gets some roots that it wants, you know, that's beautiful. it's such a beautiful experience to know, like, but what you're saying about the CNI, cause I think of, you know, in my own context of relationally with my partner, when she's just so tender and kind. So it's like, I know as someone who used to be in sales, as someone who can go to words, I know how to like use language to manipulate. And I have to always bite that side of me and be like, yeah, yeah. Important to be connected more, but the righteous, you know, I want to be right. You know, I have to, I've had, I've had to learn to set all those things aside. Yes, that's good. Because relationally you end up in a place you've never even observed your parents go. Exactly. Right. You go, you go deeper in love, you get, and I really feel like those um, blocks that we hit in the vulnerability cycles in the experience, the CNI, is really usually where we have upper limited ourselves in love. Like beyond that is some pain we've experienced, a loss, a rejection, an abandonment. And so we have these techniques that don't allow us to get deeper. Well, this is where skills come in, to be honest, because people don't go deeper because when they try, they're not successful with each other at it. Because they haven't developed the actual ability or they don't you're talking about incredibly tender territory and people kind of run on you with run on each other with track shoes i mean you you have to there's a there's a combination of being convicted that's the standing up for yourself part the fierce the fierce part yeah with being loving yeah 
And if you do one without the other, you're going to be in trouble. And um, fierce without loving is that kind of 70s personal empowerment model. Uh, Loving without fierce is kind of the 50s accommodate and resent it model. And fierce love, loving, firm voice, power in connection, that is the new frontier for all of us. Amazing. On on that note, because I know we're getting to time, people can find out how to get to this by going to your site, checking out terryreal.com, grabbing the Essential Skills Workshop. You also said that you have 20 practices for a successful relationship, right? Yes. Um, do you have the phone number? Yeah. So for everyone listening, if you want to get a copy of Terry Reel's 20 practices for a successful relationship, put in the number 202-517-2151. So 202-517-2151 and just text your email address and you'll get it emailed to you. That's so easy. That was so simple. Say the number one more time for me. 202-517-2151. Thank you. So Thank for everyone listening, you guys grab that. I mean, it's a no-brainer. It's You just fire a text. You won't get a bunch of texts back from Terry being like, how's your day? Are you one up, one down, <laughs> one on? So, so for people to find your work, because I know you said that couples will fly in and see you, you also offer like workshops and stuff like that. So yes. for people to find out all this information, just go to the website. Just go to terryville.com. Do you have yeah. any other places that people can find you? Do you have YouTube stuff going on? Uh, you know, I haven't done it because I just won't like the way. I, I'll just feel old and fat. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, there's a, fair, there's a fair number of YouTube things on that you can see. I gave a talk with Robert Bly at one of the Minnesota men's you know, out in the woods drumming in, with the guys, that whole thing. That's on YouTube. There's a lot of my stuff on YouTube. You well, know. and I encourage anyone who's listening, if you like straight up, straight to the point, no fucking around, like truth and just work that is powerful. I mean, I've observed it. I watched it and I was just moved by you, Terry. Your work is incredible. You're almost like when you're doing the work, it is like you were just freaking channeling whatever experience you're having. I do feel that. Yeah, because in some way, you know, it's like in the traditional model of therapy, as you spoke to before, those rules are sort of have to be laid to the side for your transparent effectiveness. You know, it's like, um, I know I'm not a therapist, but I, you know, I go to like the psych network, I read and do all the things. And I'm very fascinated by even rules on self-disclosure and things like that, that are such powerful ways of connecting humans. Yeah, a great way of dancing the dance of leading people and also connecting with them. So thank you for speaking speaking of new rules. You just jogged my memory. You know, asking people who are interested in learning more, uh, we neglected to mention my books. Oh, shit. Uh, Yeah. You want to tell them about them? Sure. Um, The the, the first book was written in my blood, uh, and that's called I Don't Want to Talk About It. And it's about male depression. But beyond that, it's really about how this culture wounds men and uh, male psychology. It's, I think it's an extraordinary book. That one I own and I've read. It is fantastic. Well, thank you, Mark. Yeah. And then the, uh, the newer one is called The New Rules of Marriage, which takes you through uh, some of the skills that we've been talking about today. So The New Rules of Marriage is about relationships. 
And I don't want to talk about it as about men. Okay, amazing. I'll link both of those in the show notes and make sure that everyone can grab a copy. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. It's been lovely to meet you. Thanks so much for being here today. I appreciate appreciate it so much. Yeah, it was really great. Thank you. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's episode. If this episode resonated with you, one of the best ways to support the show is to go subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any more. Leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to it, or share the episode with your community on Instagram or whatever social place you like to hang out. This helps get it into more people's ears, and I'm so grateful for your support, always. Thanks again for tuning in. Much love.